The Unpacked Podcast, Episode 2, Being Present. Welcome back to another episode of Unpacked. I'm Nikki Shirkman, here with my husband, Jordan. Hey, Nikki. Hey. How are we doing today? So good. It's sunny. I got to be outside. Got to go on a walk. Very life-giving. Got a little vitamin D. Always. Usually lacking in that pretty severely, so yeah, it's good. It's kind of a curse of living where we live in Ohio. It's true. But it's a reality we face for a long time, so we're getting used to it. Mm-hmm. And you've been taking some vitamin D pills. I have, yeah. I got some blood work done and found out that my levels were at about 23. I guess the normal is about 75. Seems like a pretty big gap. Yeah. It's hard, it's hard to know, you know, what what does that mean? What is, you know, how far of a jump is that? Is that like I just need like 15 minutes in the sun and I'm good to go? Well, we had just got back from Florida, so I guess it's a little more than that. Yeah, we had a training for work in Florida right before yeah. that and we were in the sun, so could be normally lower than that. That's true. Yeah. Probably most people in the Midwest have a vitamin D deficiency. That's safe to say. It's been a rough winter. But we really maximize the summer. That's true. Is anyone ever inside in a Midwest summer? I feel you know, it's you have to make the most of being outside because you can only do that for one month out of the year, it feels like. You see sunshine, you run outside. You run. The sun is shining, I need to be outside. Yes. Immediately. I wonder if people in California feel that way. I don't know. We'll have to talk to some Californians. Maybe some Californians will listen to this show and tell us, oh yeah, we're always outside or oh no, we totally take it for granted. Do you curl up with a blanket and a cup of coffee and to read a book? You know, I feel like that's such a Midwest winter perspective, something we love to do. We'll have to find out. Hmm. So what are we talking about today? Today's a something I've been struggling with and we're talking about being present in the moment. Living in the moment. And in correlation with that, how not to let technology take over your life. Right, because those two things kind of go hand in hand. Being present, technology, it's easy for us to step into a bubble of technology and not be present. Mm -hmm. So we're going to dig into those things, kind of unpack those things today and talk about our mostly our failures in those areas. But I think, honestly, you're a lot better at it than I am. You've done a really good job of pursuing a present life and I am always on Twitter. That's nice of you to say. Well, it's true. I feel like it's something I've become just really self-aware of and thinking about how I feel when people around me get on their phone or quick to be distracted by something else instead of in the conversation or just in the moment. And I wouldn't, it's how I would want people to interact with me. Yeah. The golden rule. Mm, So applicable. It's frustrating. I am frustrated when I do it to people because I know that I'm saying my phone is more important than you are. And when people do that to me, that's essentially what they're saying. We would never normally admit to that. And we wouldn't say that to someone's face. Oh, hang on. I'm getting a phone call. It's more important than you. And sometimes we're waiting for important phone calls. But most of the time, we're, we just want to be distracted. Mm-hmm. Or we're looking for kind of an instant gratification thing. We're impatient. We want to be entertained. And if there's a lull in the conversation or in the entertainment then we we seek something to entertain us. So we're looking for an out from things that aren't as exciting as the present reality we're experiencing. Exactly. And so ultimately, it really leads to an impatience. We don't know how to just sit and be still and think or listen and if it's something that isn't appeasing or isn't tickling our ears, then we'll move on to something that is, even if it's in a in church or in a lecture or whatever it may be. We're quick to want to consume what we want to consume and tune out what we don't want to. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting problem that we face that we're essentially always connected to the internet. We can at any moment go and find something that in our minds, is more appealing than what we're currently experiencing. And we never have to check into the real world because we can always check out with our cell phones or our laptops or our iPads. It's weird. 
It is. And we are the sole deciders on our iPads, iPhones, of what apps we want, what social media we want to see, read. It's completely tailored and customized to your preferences. So it's this all-access pass to things that are always interesting to you. I'm deciding who I follow, what websites I visit. I can check out whatever I want that I know will interest me. So if someone's talking about something I'm not interested in, I can go somewhere where I am interested in something. So maybe we've gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves. Let's take a step back and just talk about what does it mean to be present? Profound question. I think when I think about being present, and I wrote a blog post on this recently, is that you are where you are with who you are, not thinking about what needs to be done, what you've already done, but just being there with the people that you are. If you're hanging out with friends, if you're at dinner, then it's being there immersing yourself in the conversation and in listening. And even if you're not the one contributing most of the conversation, it's tuning in, it's engaging and deciding to be an active participant in that moment. I like the wording active participant. And I think something when I think about being present and listening to someone, what's really easy to do, even in even in the context of being present, it's easy to not be present. And so what I mean is we can be having a conversation with someone and instead of really listening to what they're saying, we're thinking, what will I say in response to what they're saying right now? And so it's really hard to even be fully present when you're not even on your phone or where you're not distracted with other things because you have your mind reeling about what you're going to say next. Definitely not just a technology issue, that's for sure. It is a mental thing to decide to be there and listening. And We had a recent example of this. We were in a big group of friends and everyone was having a lot of discussion. And afterwards we got in the car and said it felt hard to get a word in to the conversation. It was really awesome conversation, dialogue happening, but we weren't necessarily the ones talking, even though there were some things we wanted to share. But it was really easy at that moment for me to want to turn to Instagram or get on my phone because it was I wasn't talking, but it was still such a rich conversation and there was so much that I could learn and even just think about and mentally be there and engaging with these people. So when we talk about being present, I really liked the active participant kind of verbiage of what is going on. We're, we're an active participant in what's going on around us instead of passively listening or, or kind of half listening. And it, the thing that you and I will often joke about is that sometimes I'll respond to a question you ask me two minutes later. You know, it's like it finally clicks and it <laughs> registers that you asked me something when I was working on my computer or distracted. And it seems like I'm not listening and I'm not. And my mind is is kind of a couple minutes behind and then I get to a response. And that's frustrating. It is. It's still impressive that you can do that. I'm not sure that I always get to it or that I answer it fully, but sometimes somehow there's kind of a hitch and it clicks and I get back to it. So being an active participant in a conversation or just in what's going around on around you is kind of how we're defining being present. So something that you have kind of described in, in the recent blog post that you, you referenced was being excited for what's going to happen next, but at the same time, staying present and staying in the now and not getting ahead of yourself. So this isn't just in day-to-day situations of I'm in, I'm present in this conversation, but I'm living today as if it's today and not just in preparation for what's a week or a month or a year down the road. I think this is something that's a double-edged sword of the life that we specifically live because so much of what we've done up to this point has been short-term ventures. And now we're getting ready to move to Slovenia and Eastern Europe for the next five years. And that will be the longest single commitment that we have had to something and been in one spot for that long. And I think last year when we were overseas, that really got me thinking, wow, this, this upcoming season will be the first time that we 
aren't always living in anticipation of what's to come. And I think there's there's an excitement about that, about what's coming up and you look forward to things. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think we can miss out on what's going on around us when we're just constantly preparing for what is going to come or what is next. And I think that's something that I've made a conscious effort to be aware of. And obviously there is preparation that needs to happen. You need to pack, you need to hang out with people, all these different things that need to happen. But I think there's also this excitement that comes in. That's a good thing. So how do you think we can simultaneously be excited and be present and not be just distracted or consumed with what's going to happen next? Because a lot of times people say, oh, I don't want to just live for the future. I don't want to just live for what's next. But then we do it anyway. You know, as if saying that phrase is kind of a solution for not living that way. You know, we can't just slap this label of, oh, I don't want to just live for the next thing, but then we continue to do it. So how do we find that balance of just staying really present on a, on a daily basis? Mm. Part of it comes with recognizing what is necessary in preparation for this next venture of your life, whatever that may be. If you have a wedding coming up, obviously there's a lot of planning that goes into that. If there is a sporting event, then you have practice. So there's obviously things that preparation is required. And in our case, there are trainings that we have to go to. There is the packing that needs to happen and making sure to spend time with people. And so I think that one, having a list for me is really significant and just saying, what are all the things that need to happen before this next season, this next thing that we're looking forward to. And then that way my mind is cleared from constantly reeling with what are all the things I need to get done. And so first doing that and saying, this is what needs to happen. And then I think being intentional with the time that you do have then. So even though there, there may be a lot going on with preparing is who are the people that you want to make sure to spend time with, or you want to invest in, or exercising for yourself, whatever those things may be. And even putting aside the time and really deciding that that is what you will use that time for. And I think that can be a huge way of doing that. And ultimately with prayer, I think is the core of it is just saying, God, these are all the desires of my heart. These are the things that I want to do. I want to prepare well for what's to come and for this next season of our life or for this event. And, but I also want to make sure I'm gaining everything from this moment that you have me in now and not just thinking, Oh, when I do get to this next season or this next event, then fill in the blank. I think we're really quick to do that as human beings, kind of the grass is greener thing. Or once I achieve X, once I'm at Y, then I will feel this happiness. I'll feel this contentment. And so just learning how in the midst of busyness, chaos, ambiguity, waiting and anticipating how to walk through that with the Lord and gain everything he has for you in that specific moment. I think that's really just sound advice. And I think just, yeah, there's something as simple as making a list. And I think that that can be something that distracts me a lot of times just when I'm having a conversation with someone. Oh, I've totally forgot I have to get an oil change or, you know, fill in the blank with whatever thing I need to do at that current moment. And so if I have a list and I'm organized enough so that I can put those things aside and say, if I can trust my list, you know, that I have everything I need on there, then I can really focus on, on being here and enjoying this time. And yeah, so for us, we're walking through a visa process right now of getting a visa to move to Slovenia. So I have a list of all the steps we need to go through. And if I didn't, honestly, it would be a pretty all-consuming thing because it's all these different steps and hoops that we have to jump through just of moving abroad, but just in the process of legally being able to move abroad. So I think that the idea of writing things down, having it organized and, and keeping track of it so that I don't have to constantly be anxious about tomorrow or anxious about what is next so that I can really enjoy what I'm experiencing in the present and so that I'm not distracted with all the other things I have going on swirling around my head. Absolutely. So how then, Jordan, as Christians, how do we balance this living in the present, and yet having an eternal perspective? I think an eternal perspective so determines 
what it looks like as we live in the present. Because if I don't have an eternal perspective, then my present is going to be consumed with doing all the things that can bring me the maximum amount of joy right now and maybe in the long run don't have as big of a payoff. So when we talk about maybe take a step back, when we talk about an eternal perspective, it's this mindset of saying what will matter most is what will matter for the longest amount of time. So when Christians talk about eternal perspective, it's the idea that we are going to spend eternity somewhere and we as Christians have been promised by having a relationship with Jesus that will be with him. But on top of that, Jesus has promised us eternal treasure based on how we live and steward our lives here. And so living in the present means making the most of every connection I can make with someone to influence them and to point them to the Lord or to encourage them. It means I'm going to choose to have a conversation with my cashier at the grocery store instead of just checking my phone because I have an opportunity to make this connection with this person that could honestly matter for eternity. And so I think that our eternal perspective really informs our day-to-day lives because how we view eternity will impact how we live each and every moment. Mm, That's really wise, really good input. And I think thinking about that, this balance we've been talking about, it makes me think about back to the time when we got engaged before we got married and bless you. You're such a patient man because I was such an impatient woman. (laughs) I think looking at that time, I was so excited to be married. I just couldn't wait. And I was really looking forward to that. And we were finishing our senior year of college and got married six days after we graduated. So a little... It was a stressful season. It was. was We had a lot going on. Interesting decision. But here we are. We made it almost three years. And... I, I found myself doing that recently with things in life of, oh, I just can't wait for this. And I was like, Nikki, you, this is exactly how you felt when you were in, before you got engaged and then before you got married. And there were moments that I missed out on because I was so consumed with just what was next. And even in light of that, it's the ultimate thing that we are hoping for and anticipating is Jesus returning. And so with this eternal perspective, this idea that everything that we are doing now, ultimately we want it to bring God glory to help people know him. And so in, even in our interactions, that can be something that we're thinking about. So how do you say, would you say Jordan, that this present mindedness, how is that different from this cultural ideal of living for the moment, YOLO, as the kids say. Right. That's what the kids are saying. You only live once. And as one of my favorite rappers says, but you can die twice. Ooh. Yeah. I think that the biggest difference between what our culture says about living for the moment is that living for the moment says, I want to do what I want to do right now because this is the only shot I have. It's it's the opposite of an eternal perspective. It says right now is all there is. And so if I don't make the most of right now, then I'm wasting it. Whereas being present minded and being living a, a life that enjoys each, each moment and makes the most out of the every opportunity, because as Paul says, for the days are evil, we want to make the most out of every moment. The difference is that they're completely opposite, even though the words are so similar, living for the moment and being present minded. And there are maybe better labels for for each of those things, but kind of YOLO versus a daily eternal perspective. And so when we live a present minded life, it means we're going to to make genuine connections with people and we're going to really listen to people and we're not just going to be looking for the best thing or a better opportunity, which I would say is the living for the moment mentality, the YOLO mentality of, oh man, I want to, I want to be on Facebook and I want to be on Twitter and I want to be on Instagram and seeing what my friends are doing or what other opportunities there might be out there, or what I might be missing out on or fill in the blank with whatever it might be. But being present minded says, I am going to just one step at a time, do my best to to care for people and to honor the Lord with each of my actions and to really listen and 
and to really hear people and to really care for people. And it's an outward focus rather than an inward focus. That's a really good distinction. I think with the YOLO mentality too, and you kind of were touching on this, is there's not a real thought to consequence of actions or decisions. And it's just solely what is right now in this second will bring me happiness, will bring me fill in the blank without regard to, is this wise? Is this ultimately going to be for my good? And so there is that tension there of, again, in the moment, but thinking, how will this impact me, benefit me, hurt me down the road as well? And is this wise is the perfect question to ask. Is it wise to be on my phone when I'm talking with my family that I only see around the holidays or that I see every blue moon? Is it wise to ignore these people? Is it wise to jump off a bridge is the classic mom example. Would you jump off a bridge if all your friends were jumping off? (laughs) You know, it's crazy. But yeah, I think that is it wise can be a really clarifying question on if I should do something or if I should not do something. And I think it would serve us all really well to ask that question more often when we're instinctively reaching for our phone or trying to to just look for the next best thing that will bring us momentary satisfaction and pleasure. So I think maybe to kind of turn a corner, I think that we've kind of dug into what it looks like to live presently and kind of what our culture says versus what the Bible says. Let's kind of talk about the role of technology in all of this. And we've talked about it a little bit something we have here is how much time a week do you think you spend using your laptop and iPhone and iPad? Yikes. That's a scary question to try to answer and to quantify the amount of time we actually spend on these devices, at least for me. And I would say it's, it's almost impossible to calculate because it's such a knee jerk reaction for me to when I'm bored or when I, want to do something to just reach for my phone to hop on the internet to see what's going on outside of my current life. So what do you Jordan in those moments when and I have these two I'm just asking you personally but so you said when you're bored or if you're interacting with people what is it that happens in the conversation or happens for you mentally internally where you're like I just want to look at Twitter I think part of it is honestly, it's a physical reaction. And the for me personally, the only way that I can keep myself from physically checking my phone is by leaving it at home or leaving it in the car. Which you do so graciously on date nights. Thank yeah, you. I, I've tried to do a better job of that because it's just a constant opportunity for distraction. It's a constant opportunity for me when we're sitting at the table or we're waiting to be seated or when you go to the restroom and I'm just sitting there as if I can't wait one or two minutes without being connected to the internet or being entertained in the way that I want to be entertained. So I think when we're in conversations, if it's not just a one-on-one conversation and maybe multiple people are talking, I think especially when a conversation shifts to something I'm not interested in or something that doesn't really involve me, it's really easy for me to say, well, I'm just going to take a step back. They probably won't even notice that I'm on my phone and I'm just going to see what's going, what else is going on because I'm just not interested in this. So I kind of, it's almost like clicking the mute button. This doesn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to check out. That's a really, I think it, I would go as far to say it's, it's just sinful. It just says, I'm more important than what you're saying and I just don't care about what you're saying and so I'm going to step into my own world. Mm, That's a really interesting grasp on it and just realization about yourself and I absolutely am guilty of the same thing when it and especially how you said thinking oh they're not going to notice they're they're doing their own thing but I always notice when people do it and I think that they're bored or that they're disinterested and then I I start to feel bad or want to accommodate or make this person feel more engaged when it's not necessarily a fault of mine or the person having the conversation that we feel disinterested sure I think it's just selfishness it's just really selfish for us to check out in that way and We've all likely done it. So I think a 
a good question to ask is how do we begin to rein in our technology usage to use it in a way that honors the Lord, that communicates respect to other people, that is kind of just bringing moderation to this thing that's all around. You know, technology isn't a bad thing. It can be used for really good things, but it can totally become the center of our world and, and be a huge distraction. So how do, what are just some practical ways that we can kind of minimize the negative impact of technology in our lives? We've tried to talk through this before. We joke about it now that we tried to make our dining room table, 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 the, table, the, te- the technology free zone. That's been a pretty bad <laughs> attempt at, it's a good idea. We just it's have so not good. executed. I've heard people, you know, they have an area of their house where there's no technology. There's, they don't do anything. And I've heard people that they have a day of the week where they completely unplug. There's no technology. And I think for me, just even starting on a smaller scale of one thing that I do that a lot of my friends are probably annoyed about now, but when someone texts me, I don't respond to it immediately. And I will get to the end of the day and easily have 10 to 12 text messages that I haven't replied to yet. And now I can see a preview of what the person said. So if it's something urgent or they need an immediate response, I can get a feel for that and then I will respond. And it's not to be rude or say that this person isn't worth responding to, but rather than every time someone texts me, picking up my phone, replying right away, I will sit down and kind of do a batch reply to all of the text messages at one time. So rather than it consuming moments throughout my entire day, I sit down, whether it's at the end of the day or the next morning even, and then reply. And then it it only took me five collective minutes at the most to sit and reply to all of them at one time instead of all day having to be aware and trying to be on and immediately accessible to people that want an answer or asking a question. I think that's a really good perspective on how to take a a step back from an instant medium. You know, text messaging is an instant thing. You can send it and see it right away. And, you know, if you're using iMessage on an iPhone, you can set it up so that people can see if you've read it or not with read receipts. And a lot of people turn that off or leave it off by default. But I think we don't have to be at the mercy of someone else's expectation of how we will let technology influence our lives. And so just because someone else may expect a quick response on something, and sure, there are going to be circumstances when we do need a quick reply or something happened or whatever the situation may be, there are situations when it's convenient to be able to to give a quick reply. But there are other times when it's just not super important to to get back to someone right away or to say at every moment during my waking hours, I will respond to someone. And you've done a really good job of that. And I've seen you put it into practice and friends have said to you, you know, you used to be the fastest person to reply and now you're not. (laughs) And that's not offensive, you know, but in our culture that can seem like such a taboo thing. Oh, wow. Nikki hasn't texted me back and it's been 12 hours. And I think until you kind of train people almost that this is just how I operate, they're going to get used to it and it's going to be okay. It's not that you were offended by this text message or that you're ignoring them, but that's just your choice to not let technology dominate your waking hours. Exactly. And something you and I both have been conscientious of and tried to do over the years, I used to immediately wake up, look at Instagram to wake up slowly. It helped me open my eyes and get going with the day. And now I use my phone as an alarm. So I shut it off when I wake up. But if I'm tempted to want to lay in bed or to look at some kind of social media, I will Instead, I have a a devotional app on my phone and I'll read that first thing when I wake up instead of looking at Instagram or Facebook and so easily you can lose a half hour doing that. I, you'd get up and be like, what, what just happened to my morning? It's already halfway over and then you're already feeling stressed about the day ahead because you're behind on all these things you need to do. And, and in a lot of ways, technology is great and helps us be more productive, but social media aspects of it can definitely derail our time and take us off. So you have a little groggy time with Jesus before you start your day. I do. But it's a better it's a better use of time than just scrolling through pictures or tweets that are going to be there. 
They're right. always going to be there. You can go back and see them. And you and I have both been in and probably to some degree still are. You, there was a season where you said, I haven't missed an Instagram picture in three weeks. And, and we talked about it later and you're like, why do I care about that? What a weird thing to kind of proudly say. But the same is true for me, you know, kind of my social media platform du jour is Twitter. And so I haven't missed a tweet in a really long time. Who cares? There are no contests for seeing every tweet or every picture. It's just a crazy thing that we have put this importance on. So my kind of new morning routine is to go and practice guitar. And that's how I've started to wake up. And when you're strumming and you're really bad at guitar, that'll undoubtedly wake you up because it sounds pretty, it sounds pretty funky when you first start, but it's been a really good change that I've made instead of laying in bed and checking Twitter. And some days I still do that. And then I feel that anxiety of, oh my goodness, there goes a half an hour. And I clicked on this link and I read this article and now there's my day is shot. And so I think just starting and replacing that, I think what we have to do is replace this habit because obviously it's a habit that we've developed of, of connecting to the internet, of checking in on something, of seeing what's happening with our friends or family. And so we have to replace that with something else because it's not just going to disappear because when we wake up, we're going to have a choice to make and we can, we can make that choice to read a devotional or read the word or, or develop something new or try something new or whatever it may be, or we're going to fall back into that old habit and continue to waste time on foolish things. So easily. So what are some other things that you've done to kind of remove the interruption element of social media or technology. And that was a good distinction I heard about on the beyond the to-do list podcast with Eric Fisher and Merlin Mann. They talked about the distinction between a distraction and an interruption. So an interruption is something that someone is actually doing to you, or it's when you hear a ding on your phone or when someone walks into your office and says, Hey, I have a question. Whereas a distraction is kind of a self-motivated thing that we turn to it. So when I wake up in the morning and I choose to check Twitter, that's my decision to indulge in a distraction. So kind of external versus internal. Exactly. So what are some other things that you've done to, we'll talk about the external and then maybe we'll talk about the internal after that. So what are some other things that you've done to limit kind of the external aspect of distractions and technology? So for me, my big social media platform preference of preference is Instagram. I think it's just fun to see people's life in pictures. And so I try to and certainly fail at this, but have specific moments or things when that's when I check it. And so this is maybe TMI, but when I'm in the bathroom, that's when I'll look at Instagram because there's not a lot of other things you can, you can read. Sure. You can read a book and sometimes I do, but that's one way where it's like that time is that. So rather than when I wake up in the morning, I immediately check it. No. Or if we're waiting, um, I don't know, kind of just depends. I don't have other specific moments in my mind, but try to just do that again, not all day looking for just the next picture, but it's kind of, again, a batch looking at the pictures later in the day that helps me. So your friends haven't gotten mad that you maybe like their pictures later in the day than after the moment that it's posted. No, I've had no, no feedback on that. That's good because that's something that I think when I turned to social media and I wrote a blog post about this, that instant gratification of when I post something and someone responds to it or retweets it or likes it. It's that validation of what I said is important. And there can be good aspects of that of, hey, I wrote this blog post and I really connected with people and people are saying, hey, that was really helpful. So that to me is, oh, okay, I should I should talk more about my experience in this way and I can be really helpful to people. But I can I can put my hope in those things and say, oh man, why didn't I why didn't I get more response to this. This was genius. This was such a witty tweet that I spent 20 minutes crafting. You know, why didn't people tell me that that was really good? Why didn't people pat me on the back? And so I can really run to people for my approval and I can look to to people for approval instead of God. And instead of believing what's true of me in Jesus, I can say, well, I find my approval on how many Instagram likes I got or how many Twitter followers I have. And that's still something I wrestle with. Because it's, it feels good. It feels good to, for people to say this was important, this is helpful, or for people to say that was funny. It's really hard 
to to step back from that. It is. And something you said in that kind of a way of remedying that is turning off the notifications so that however many likes you get on Instagram, because it is fun. It's just kind of high when you see your phone lighting up after you post a picture that all these people like it, but maybe even turning off those notifications and then checking it later. And then you can see how many people did, but not all throughout the day that disrupting you because you would then look to, I then look to it instead of whatever task or moment I'm in at that moment. I think that that's a really easy thing to do that maybe some people don't even know that you can do. You know, it's kind of the the idea that some people still get emails from Facebook when someone likes their picture. What? Yeah, that's that's kind of a default setting. You have to dig in to turn stuff like that off. And so there, there are settings wow. in all these apps and on all the smartphones and it's, you know, whatever. I'm not going to walk through the exact process of how you do it, but you can go into your settings and you can turn it off so that you don't get beeps or alerts or buzzes but that you only see when you open the app so you'll get a notification when someone sends you a message or whatever but you can turn it off so that you're not just getting your phone's not lighting up every time someone just likes a status that you posted or something you know it's it's just a really simple way to limit the interruptions a little bit more and that's something that we've done and you know I uninstall the Facebook app and I'll check it through through just going through Safari and checking it on my phone instead of having the app because it's just easy to see it and click on it. And I don't know if I actually check it any less. And I always say that I hate Facebook, but then I post things on there and I read and see what's going on with my friends. And it's just really easy for it to just be a a knee jerk reaction to anything to, to check in in that way. But I think turning off notifications can be one, one more practical way to move technology a little bit further from the center of our world. And as you shared before, when we go out on date nights, you'll leave your phone at home and I bring mine to take pictures because it's not hard for me to not look at it. But I think moments like that, when we have been uh, visiting friends for a weekend, we will leave our phone in another room or turn it on do not disturb mode or these different things because these moments are precious. And I feel like what I'm constantly thinking in my mind if I'm tempted to look at my phone and I'm in a really fun time with friends, I'll mentally ask, will I wish I would have looked at my phone more in this moment? When we're in Slovenia for the next five years and we're not with our family for Christmas, well, I wish I had spent Christmas Day posting pictures to Instagram, looking at Facebook to see what everyone else was doing on Christmas. No, absolutely not. I'm never going to wish that. And so in my head, I'm thinking, but I'm always going to wish I had been more present or soaked up more of that time with our family and friends. And so for me, that's a real motivation that really works for me on a mental level to say, what what do I value more? And it will always win out that it's these relationships. And so I want my actions to then reflect that. I think that's really good. And I think that we have to be willing to ask ourselves that question. And sometimes we don't have because it can be such a just physical response to reach for our phone when there's a lull or I feel like in a, especially in American society, if there's any break in conversation, any lull, the instant response is, oh, this is awkward. You know, and it's, well, why is that awkward? You know, that's just kind of a weird cultural thing that we've developed that if there's more than a single beat in a conversation, that it's automatically awkward that there's any silence. And I think we're, we can just be really uncomfortable with silence and that's a totally different topic. But another idea that I've heard as far as practical ways to move technology away from from the center and keep it from dominating our world and, and our lives, and it goes along with what you said, is it's kind of a physical response instead of just asking that question of, well, I wish that I did this. But well, I was in a Bible study and we used to put all our cell phones in a basket and we'd put them in another room so that we weren't tempted to look at it so that we were all fully engaged. We didn't have an easy escape in technology. And I've heard of people when they go out to dinner with friends, all putting their phones in the middle of the table. And the first one to, to look at their phone has to pick up the tab. So kind of a, like yeah, a negative, a negative consequence of engaging in technology instead of engaging in real life. And so I think that we, when we don't, don't have the mental capacity or maybe haven't trained ourselves to ask what will I wish I would have done? We can have these kind of physical things that we do where we 
put our phone in another room or when we have a consequence of having to pick up the tab at a restaurant because I was the first one to look at it. I think those things are just helpful. And you know, whether you actually pick up the tab or not, I don't know. I've never done it, but I think it would be good. And I would probably be picking up a lot of tabs in, until I train <laughs> myself to to let go of just checking every buzz and beep and alert that comes through. Mm-hmm. So in with this, Jordan, do you think that kind of which came first, I guess. Do you think technology has created a new problem? Like has technology created this distracted living or is this something we as humans have always wrestled with and technology is just a different means to it now? I think that technology has made it worse and made it easier to live a distracted life. And it's kind of an excuse you know, to say, oh, well, someone's calling, I got to go, you know, when you want to get out of a conversation with someone you bump into at the store. But of course, it's always been a human issue because as long as we've been able to think and let our thoughts wander to a place other than where we currently are, we've been able to be distracted. And so I think that the distractions and the interruptions that we have have made the problem worse, undoubtedly. But it's it's always been a human issue, I'd say, uh, an issue of our heart, an issue of how we use our mind to kind of escape day-to-day realities or uncomfortable situations. And so I don't think it's a new problem. It's just made it more in our face of here it is. I saw something on Facebook, social media, about, it was a picture of kind of a modern day couple sitting at a table across from each other and both the husband and wife were looking at their phones. And then in a parallel picture, it was a picture of a couple from, let's say, the 1950s and the husband's reading a newspaper and the wife's reading a newspaper and they're still not talking to each other. And it made me chuckle because we can so easily think that, oh, now we we don't have this connection with people, but there are, was always something that could be stealing your attention. And so for them, it was reading the newspaper. Yeah, I think there have always been ways to escape. I think with technology, though, we have this constant new feed of interruption. And we have a 24-hour news cycle where the world is totally interconnected. We can know when things are happening around the world and see what's going on in places other than what we would read in our local newspaper. And so once I read through the newspaper... I kind of completed it. I'm not going to go back to it unless I'm sharing a story with someone. And so I think what, again, this is just technology making the problem more obvious. Of course, people have been distracted before. Of course, they let other things get in the way of making personal connections or when they wanted to be entertained, they would turn to something else. And I saw a similar picture of someone saying, oh, technology's made us so antisocial. And it's a picture of all these guys riding a bus or a train and they all have their newspapers out. Mm-hmm. But what someone noted was, oh well, yeah, but you can't, they're not constantly checking these newspapers to see what's new. You know, it's not updating. And so I think the constant stream of information is what has really made it harder to be, to be focused and to not be distracted. I read this study uh, from Time Magazine online. We'll link to it in our show notes. But it said that this was participants from many different countries, not just Americans. And it said that 84% of respondents said that they could not go a single day without their cell phones. 84%. That's pretty crazy. And it's not even what's so funny about phones now is that it's not even about the phone function. No. It's not like, oh, someone couldn't call me in an emergency. It's more, well, what if I get an important email or there's a good deal on Groupon or someone posts a funny picture on Twitter? We were at a seminar recently and the speaker asked, what do you use your phone for? And probably the 10th or 12th answer was making a phone call. And the whole room started cracking up because that didn't even dawn on most of us that, oh, right, this is the original intention of this invention. And now it's a mini computer in our back pocket. We have this constant escape. We have this thing that has morphed into a totally different thing. Most of us hate talking on the phone now, and we'd much rather send someone a text message or, or shoot a message over to someone instead of actually making that human connection through a phone call. So let's talk about how we can kind of redeem technology. How can we use this? And we've talked about ways that we can kind of remove some of the distraction of it. How can we really use it in a way 
that makes relationships more meaningful and in a way that really honors the Lord. I think it's important to recognize the incredible benefits of technology because especially as we think about from a a gospel perspective from people coming to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, technology has made that so much easier to happen because we they have access to information that people didn't have before, or there's ways of sharing videos or statuses or websites and articles. And so there's so much information for people that are searching now. And I think that's a really awesome, unique thing about technology and, you know, ministries are still figuring out what is the way we best utilize technology to further the gospel, to help people know Jesus. And it's neat to see that kind of unfolding. And so I think that's definitely something that is a redemptive quality about technology because obviously very clearly is bringing fame to God through people knowing him. And so I think that specifically, so not necessarily relationally, but just an aspect of technology that is important and is really critical, I would say at this point to the gospel going forward and through people still getting to go, but an awesome way for people to hear. And I think there are just so many blessings that can go along with technology. If I live in another country for my friends or my family, I can I can Skype them or FaceTime them and see them that moment and people can watch their grandkids grow up from a distance. And sure, technology has brought about so many blessings. It's just constantly analyzing our heart and our mind in the situations and using it in a really wise way. It's it's like practically anything in life. You know, fire can be a really good thing if we're heating up food or we're staying warm or we're making s'mores. But if we're if our house is on fire, it's a really bad thing. It's a really dangerous thing. And so technology in the same vein can be used either for good or for bad. And we, I think we just really need to put a lot of stop gaps in to not let technology ruin us in a lot of ways and, and really distract us from what's important and meaningful connections with people. And we didn't even really get into so much how it distracts us from from spending time with the Lord or spending time reading and praying. It's really easy for me, even when I'm reading the Bible to say, well, you know, maybe I'll check Facebook for a minute and then I'll go back to reading. So I think it's really being wise about how we use technology, realizing that it can be a blessing that we have so many apps. And John Piper's talked about before, let, let your Bible app be your most used app on your phone. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's not, it's definitely not on my phone, but it, I want it to be, you know, I want to be using my time to spend, in, my, in the technology that we have to spend more time in the word and to spend time growing closer to the Lord. So I think it's, it's really just deciding I'm going to use technology in a way that exemplifies moderation and that helps me make more meaningful connections with other people and with God and not letting it rule my life. Deciding to be an active participant in the moments that you're in with the people you're with. I think that's really good. Any other thoughts on on how we can really just continue to live a present life and not let technology take over? I think it takes some intentional time of thinking about it. And so for you, you're going to have different triggers, different moments when you're tempted to look at your phone, different things that you want to look at. But I think just really analyzing that about yourself and being aware of that and just really learning contentment in every season that you're in and wanting to be also contributing and as an active participant that we talked about with the people that you're with and knowing that your conversation, that your presence is a blessing to people and they want to hear from you and they want to get to know you. And so I think really just ensuring that you aren't leaning on technology as a crutch for when you are bored or tired or want a distraction, but instead turning to people and really investing in the lives of those people around you. And I think if there was one last thing I would say is just making a decision to kind of step back from technology and, and really first just say, hey, am I Am I all right? You know, there's. I'm sure there are some people out there who aren't letting technology dominate dominate their life, but there are probably a lot more people who are like the 84 percent of people who say I can't go a day without using my smartphone or my cell phone, and I feel like I've probably fallen that category. 
And so I think part of it is having accountability, having someone say, hey, just saying to them, could you help me out? I just really want to do a better job of being present and not letting technology rule over me, but instead letting me use technology in a wise and meaningful way. And so I think finding another friend that you maybe spend a lot of time with and when you are together that you put your phones in a different room or you turn them off or you turn them on silent or whatever it is and just kind of helping hold each other accountable and really saying, how can I steward well what I've been given in the form of technology and not let it just dominate my life? So giving people the freedom to call you out, essentially. Yeah, and that's a hard thing. They'll send you a tweet and say, get off your phone. (laughs) And yeah, that's kind of a thing that that we do is we have this app called Drafts. Anyway, it it allows you to do actions over and over again that you commonly do. So a lot of times when we're doing something or watching a movie or watching a TV show, we'll send the other person a text message that says pay attention when they're on their phone. So at that point, we're on two screens at once. You know, one form of media isn't enough, but I have to have another one that is occupying my attention. So anyway, the pay attention thing is a little joke between us, but everyone else can use it too. I'll put a link to how you can set that up in drafts for iOS. But It's funny. Yeah, that's that's our little our little joke. So I think I think that does it. We've unpacked it all. We have explored and and dove into our our shortcomings and our failings in the world of being present and not letting technology take control of what we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear back about what you think in your role of living a, a present life, being an active participant in your life and not letting technology take over. You can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Jay Shirk. Nikki's at N Shirkman. You can get in touch with us by email, by emailing us feedback at unpacked.co, and we'll both get your emails there. And you can check out our websites, jshirk.com and nickyshirkman.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to respond to your questions. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Unpacked. I'm going to put this thing back together, and we look forward to our next time together. 